1: Welcome to the Post Media Off the Post Hockey Podcast. I'm Paul Chapman, joined by national hockey writer Mike Trakos, who has had a very busy day, Mike. Um, I don't know if they care about the Leafs in Toronto. Is there anything to write about there today?
2: <laughs> yeah, it's big news in Toronto. You know, I don't know why they uh, couldn't save this for uh, the end of the season, but uh, you know, I guess uh, Kyle Dubas didn't want to go through what he went through with William Nylander, and he got Austin Matthews, Inc., to, uh Five year contract uh, with a cap value of 11.634 million. So, uh, obviously, less than Connor McDavid's getting, but more than John Tavares is getting. And, you know, this could be a precedent setting contract, not just for the Leafs and Mitch Marner, who's probably the next guy now that uh, Kyle Dubas turns his attention to, but, you know, you look across the league and this has been a banner year for guys on their final year of their rookie contracts, whether it's Patrick Lainey in Winnipeg, Sebastian Ajo, Carolina, uh, Tampa's Braden Point, or Miko Rantanen in Colorado. A lot of these guys, I'm sure, are looking at this contract saying, okay, you know what? Pay me those big bucks as well because I'm having as good of a year or even better in a lot of cases than Matthews. So it will be interesting to see what comes of this.
1: What is interesting to me, Mike, is that you know Matthews is the gold standard. Matthews is obviously the big ticket earner. You brought in Tavares, who's established um, at a big price, uh, but and and I think Neilander. That whole situation was, well, we can't give you as much as we're going to give Austin. So if this doesn't work for us, then maybe we'll have to to move you. But Matthews was a no brainer that they would get that done. Is is this a fair contract for both sides? Did the Leafs maybe overpay a little? Did they? You know, we always talk about the cap going up. Would this, could this actually look like a good deal for the Leafs a couple down the ro- years down the road?
2: Yeah, well, I'll further add to your point. Like, Matthews is the guy they tanked for. Like, if you remember yes. that. <laughs> uh, Mike Babcock's first year in the league. They, they purposely kept a lot of their talented young guys off the roster. They, they sold uh, a lot of their players at the deadline. They got rid of Dion Phaneuf. They had get, gotten rid of uh, Phil Kessel before the season. Like, that that was a year that was geared towards all right, there's this guy in Austin Matthews, and if not him, Patrick Liney are waiting at the end of the draft. Uh, let's do everything in our power to give us the best chances of getting him. So, you know, since he's arrived, it's been um, as advertised. Like this guy is, like you said, the gold standard. He's their franchise player, wins Rookie of the Year, is a, uh, obviously is a rookie. And um, since then, um, he's been every bit the player that the Toronto Maple Leafs have wanted. And looks to be, if not the captain, part of that leadership group going forward. Um, so when you're talking about his contract and his salary structure, um, it is going to differ uh, than maybe a Marner or a Nylander because he, he means a lot more to the team than just maybe offensive production. Like he is that horse going forward. Um, at the same time, you know, this is a tricky situation to at least find themselves in. And it's... It's, I, I guess this is the situation that a lot of teams find themselves in as we go forward now. Like Winnipeg Jets are going to be <clears throat> really pressed against it with Kyle Connor and uh, Line a both coming off uh, their entry level deals this year. And um, there's going to be a lot of debate as to what you pay these guys. And um, it, it is difficult to manage everything under the cap, especially when you go out and get a free agent like John Tavares, who's getting 11 million. And just kind of looking at it, you've got 11 uh, in Tavares, you've got Uh, 11 and a half basically tied up in Matthews and you've got uh, close to seven in Nylander and it looks like it's going to be 10 to 11 in Marner doesn't give you a lot of room to fill the rest of your roster uh, whether it's goaltenders defensemen third or fourth line forward so uh, we'll see how all these pieces fit together and uh, you know it doesn't take a genius to figure out that the Leafs have a limited window this year where Matthews and Marner combined for less than two million dollars and You know, they really have to take advantage of that because, you know, in the next coming years, you're going to be in the same situation that Chicago was in a couple years ago where uh, you're having to get rid of really good, useful players because you just can't fit everyone under the cap.
1: Well, that was the genius of Chicago that they managed to hold on to. Um, I mean, if you look at their core four at the time, obviously Kane, Taves, Seabrook and Keith. And they did a pretty damn good job of having to let guys like Bufflin and Ladd walk and refilling with other players who filled those roles and still won championships. Now, the Leafs are having to pay this through the nose without winning a championship yet, but you're absolutely right. When you're looking at these massive numbers and when you have more than one of them on your team, it really does shorten your window, doesn't it? Like, the, How is that going to change the Leafs' uh, mindset maybe at the trade deadline to say, look, we got to load up in these next two, three maybe four years before we're going to have to start shedding important players?
2: Yeah, it's a real good question, Paul. And, you know, they've got like, I think, $4 million left to spend. And that's after uh, acquiring Jake Muzzin uh, from the Kings last week. And, you know, I, I think they're going to be really busy. Um, I don't want to say they're all in uh, because that kind of gives the uh, indication that it's it's this year, then next year they, they sort of are going to fall off a cliff. But... Um, there is an opportunity here financially um, where they they're not going to have next year. Uh, they're not going to have that extra four million dollars of the cap, and they're not going to be able to have this kind of roster. So uh, this this isn't a, this is a chance to sort of go all in in that regard. Um, now the question is if you give up, like they've already given up a first round pick, which I don't think was much. If you think that the Leafs are going to be picking somewhere between twenty five and thirty one, but now do you dip into that prospect pool, and that's the big question I think that the Leafs are going to have going into this deadline. And uh, I keep going back to Winnipeg, but they're going to come up with the same kind of uh, problem where you know both the Jets and the Leafs have done a great job of filling that cupboard up with um, pretty good, useful prospects. Like I'm not going to oversell a lot of the guys that are playing in the in the AHL for the Leafs, but you could probably pick two or three and say, okay, they look like they're going to be NHL players based on what we've seen so far. And do you tap into that knowing that, you know, when you come up against the salary cap, you're going to be requiring guys on entry-level deals to kind of uh, balance out your roster. So it, it could be a balancing act for the GM where you're saying, okay, do I give up our best prospect for a rental player knowing that in a couple of years, I'm going to need that prospect to be on my third line or on my second pairing defense because I can't afford a guy who's making $4 million. So I think that's the the dilemma that a lot of teams are facing. And uh, Toronto Maple Leafs are probably at the top of that list in terms of what did you do when you're trying to balance short-term gain with long-term kind of success.
1: You know, I like to make fun of the Leafs for a lot of reasons, but in particular, their front office. I mean, it seems like they could ice a full you know, 25-man roster with just the guys they have in the front office. And they should be pretty thankful there's not an executive salary cap going on at the same we time. We used
2: to laugh, Paul. They they had like two tiers of seating at one point in their press box because there wasn't <laughs> enough guys to sit in the front row. So they actually built a little structure where uh, they had a secondary row of, I don't know if it was scouts or just assistant managers or cap kind of, calculators, but it was hilarious that they had like, they had everyone from like Cliff Fletcher, Dave Nonis, I think Brian Burke was there at the time. Uh, they, they, they just seemed to have more guys. I think Rick Dudley was there as well. And we said killer, so I was laughing because they're the only team that had like stadium seating within their press box just for their, uh, management team.
1: But to my point, is this now where that pays off when you, when, you know, the, the scouting and the, and the player personnel, and now certainly the salary cap management. I mean, obviously there's a lot of group discussions that go on, but is this, I mean, it's almost like the NFL age of having a tight ends coach. It's so important to be able to manage the cap and to look at how you're, you're, you're looking two, three years out with your draft picks and with your contracts. Is this, obviously the Leafs can afford it, this is the new model of an NHL front office, I would imagine.
2: Yeah. And you know what? Patience has paid off. Like, what? I don't think the Winnipeg Jets have the same sort of budget that Toronto has, but what both teams have in common is that they let their prospects grow. Um, They accumulated a lot of picks. Um, They used those picks. And then they said to those prospects, okay, we'll see you in like three or four years with the exception of like your most talented guys, like your line A's or your, your Matthews. And, you know, you look at Edmonton and um, their way of sort of drafting and developing and it's, it's completely opposite um re- regardless if you're a first overall pick or if you're a guy like Taylor Yamamoto or Yessi Poyer Yarvi um you're playing in the NHL right after um you're drafted maybe you didn't stick past the 9 game mark but uh they were depending on you to kind of get up there and get up there in a hurry and um we're seeing sort of the differences in those two organizational beliefs but you know like like I said like now with success um, you run into those kind of problems, those kind of first world problems that the Leafs didn't have to worry about or the, the Jets didn't have to worry about. And I'm sure the Canucks are going to kind of go through the same thing in a couple of years or maybe even this year uh, now that they're kind of inching closer to a playoff spot. And um, you're going to have a situation where your Horvats and your Pettersons and um, you know, your Quinn Hughes are going to be making some big bucks. And then you're going to have to decide, okay, well, how much do you pay them? How do you round out a roster? And you know what, now we need to rush some guys up, whereas this year um, you've got Quinn Hughes still playing in the college level and who knows what's going to happen for next year. But um, I think that's just a natural evolution. And obviously it helps that the Leafs have a, a pretty big management team. But um, within that, they've also got the, I guess, know-how, and maybe this goes back to Shanahan uh, being in the front office, as well as Mike Babcock and having that Detroit model where you know it didn't matter who you were uh, if you are drafted. Um, it took a long time for you to kind of break into the Red Wings at the NHL level, and the Leafs have sort of followed that model. It's just a matter of can you continue it in, in an era where you need cheap labor um, right in the NHL or right at the right off the hop? It seems like
1: um, there is the myth of playing in a contract year and how that will motivate you to to you know drive on to get the big numbers. From what you know of Matthews, is there any danger of him being too satisfied now he's signed this mega contract?
2: I don't think so. You look at his career and it's like I'm talking about a career of a guy who's what, 21, 22 years old. But um, at every level, this guy has always stru- uh, strive to be the best, uh, whether it's at the national development team or playing over in Switzerland or playing at the World Championships or the World Cup like way earlier than anyone could have imagined. So um, I-, I think right now this guy is motivated to be the best in the league. And he talked to him and he wants to be up there in the conversation with the Connor McDavid's and the Sidney Crosby's and the Jonathan Tays. And uh, obviously the Leafs want to win a cup and they want to win multiple cups. I think that's, um, that's the belief within this group. So I can't imagine he gets satisfied by any means. And I think the real challenge for him beyond the point production is just staying healthy though. You know, aside from that rookie year, this is a guy that's kind of missed some considerable time with either back or shoulder injuries in the last two years. So um, it's going to be on him and on the, the team's kind of onus to make sure that then they give him the players that can kind of get the puck out of the corner and keep him healthy. I guess similar to what Elias Petterson's going through right now where you hate to see him. You kind of wince every time that he goes down because you, know, you know how important these guys are to the team and how important they are to the league in a sense because you know with that old guard kind of getting older uh, and phasing themselves out of the game, it's going to be the Matthews, the Lionays, the Pettersons, guys with that ilk. Uh, who are going to be driving fan attendance and popularity as the league goes on? And last thing you want to see is these guys for them to get injured and miss like considerable time.
1: Well, great stuff, Mike. We'll leave that there for the first period, and we'll be back in a minute for the second, where we're going to talk about some of the NHL's hottest teams and how that's going to impact the trade deadline.
0: How's it going? I'm Dave Breakenridge. I'm the host of Ten Three Post Media's Canadian News Podcast. In every episode, we take a deeper look at major stories happening in Canada, talking with journalists who are on the ground from newsrooms across the country. So once Off the Post has you up to date with the latest in the hockey world, be sure to subscribe. You can find us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your audio. That's ten three Canada's News Covered.
1: Welcome back to the second period. This is the the post media off the post hockey podcast. Uh, Mike, uh, I'm looking at the standings and it just seems to have been a theme throughout this podcast for the year that I talk about the Calgary Flames and how, you know, are we paying enough attention to them? And I guess it's human nature. Like even with Vegas last year, you saw this team and you just expected it to end at some point. And I guess it did, right? The Stanley Cup final, but what an amazing story. The Flames are still eight, one and one. Like this bubble isn't bursting why and how have they been able to do this? I mean, talented young players, sure, but I don't think anyone saw this coming.
2: No, and I'll count myself there, Paul. I didn't see it coming at all. I thought the Flames were going to be good. I thought they were going to compete for a cup. But when I looked at Mike Smith and David Ruddich as their goaltending tandem, I thought, okay, this is similar to the Philadelphia Flyers. It was going to be their downfall. And you know what? They made a lot of changes in the summer. But I also thought that they made too many changes in the summer and it was going to take maybe a full year for everyone to come together, including every uh, Bill Peters as the head coach. So, um, yeah, I was skeptical. I I thought, you know, I actually thought the Oilers were probably going to finish ahead of them just because I was expecting a big bounce back year from Connor McDavid and company. So, yeah, I I was really surprised and I still am surprised that uh, Calgary's been able to do what they've done. But, you know, you dig a little deeper and you look at that roster and yeah, they got quite possibly the best forward line in hockey in Monahan, Goudreau, and Elias Lindholm. And Lindholm's been really uh, the linchpin of that line. Like he, He's underrated as a two-way forward. I think I had him for my mid-season awards as a, a Selkie Trophy finalist. Um, he's basically Marion Hossa uh, for the, the Calgary Flames in the sense that he can do it all for you. So, He's been good. Their defense, I think it looks a lot better now that T.J. Brody's playing with Mark Giordano. Um, the goaltending tandem, you know, between Smith and Riddick, they, they've looked just fantastic. And, you know, like if you'd had have told me that the Flames would be at the top of the Western Conference standings and James Neal would have less than five goals, um, I, I would have thought ah. you're crazy. <laughs> but that's been really kind of the, the year that they've had. And, you know, if Neal can get going in time for the playoffs, well, that's the equivalent of adding a guy at the trade deadline. So you know I, i'm a big believer that calgary is here to stay and you know what going into the playoffs I, i'm kind of wondering who's got the best chance out of all the can- canadian teams is it going to be can is it going to be calgary is it going to be winnipeg or is it going to be toronto and when you look at what the flames have done lately where really there's no holes exposed on their roster it, it's hard to argue that the flames don't have the best chance
1: when glenn goldson was the coach last year they were you know sort of an underwhelming choice for coach he kind of struggled in Vancouver as an assistant and you know he ultimately had been let go of his first chance in Dallas but uh how much credit do you give Bill Peters for taking you're right they did make changes but obviously he had some vision and he's taken this group and molded them into a contender right away do we do we overlook the impact of a a coach sometimes
2: yeah and Peters has been that sort of perfect blend between what Gallatin was and um Just that players friendly coach, but also uh, knows what he's expecting of the players. And, you know, let's give the players some credit, too. Uh, I think they're at an age there uh, where they did receive a lot of criticism last year um, for their lack of maturity and how things ended at the end of last season, because you got to remember around this time, they were still hovering around a playoff spot similar to like where the Canucks find themselves today. And for whatever reason, I don't know, guys just got banged up. Some injuries happened, but. Uh, the bottom completely fell out and there were some real, real questions and criticisms about a lack of leadership there. And, you know, I, I think we forgot that guys like Goudreau and Monaghan and obviously Matthew Gachuk, the, these guys were younger players. And talking to Brad True Living uh, a couple weeks ago when I did a big feature on why the Flames have had so much success, he said that those guys really took it to heart, um, took that criticism to heart, and they were really pissed off about it. Um, They didn't like what was being said about them. At the same time, they didn't shy away from it. And they came into the season uh, with a lot to prove. And you you, you look at who their leaders are this year, and and it's been Goudreau, it's been Monaghan, it's been Kachuk. Obviously, it's been Giordano, who's a little older, but um, their best players have been the best players, and they've really carried them.
1: So you talked about Calgary perhaps upsetting the apple cart when everyone thought it was Winnipeg and Toronto. But let's not sleep on the Habs. They themselves have been pretty hot seven two and one in their last ten. Carry Price looking pretty good again. Um, is this just a hot streak for the Canadians, or do you think that they have the potential to carry this towards the playoffs and, and you know maybe go a couple of rounds? You
2: know, if Carey Price is back to the Carey Price of old, and you know he's not going to win a Vezina this year, he's probably not going to win obviously a Hart Trophy, but he's got a nine fifteen save percentage. Paul, if Carey Price is playing like that. You can't count out Montreal. Like he's a difference maker. He's similar to what I guess the Rangers used to have in Henrik Lundqvist when he was in his prime. And yeah, you know, beyond Carey Price, um, this team just looks different now that Max Pacioretty is not the captain. Uh, I think I don't want to say he's blamed for everything, but shifting the C from Pacioretty to Weber, um, I'm not a big believer in who wears the C. Whatever, but for whatever reason, Montreal is a market where it does matter. Um, it, it mattered that. Uh, A guy like Pacioretty just seemed overwhelmed with that kind of responsibility and freeing him up of that, uh, getting him traded, bringing in a guy like Max Domi who just relishes the spotlight um, for whatever reason. Um, He enjoys playing in front of that crowd at the Bell Center, doesn't kind of shy away from it. Um, Prefer that over kind of playing in anonymity in uh, Arizona. Enough change happened there in the kind of good change where you're looking at Mark Bergerman saying, geez, this guy went from being... Uh, possibly the worst GM in the NHL to uh, quite possibly a genius now. And every trade he's made has really worked out. Like Thomas Tatar went from not playing, was a healthy scratch in Vegas to he's now third in the team in points with 39 or second, I guess, tied with Drew. And so he's worked out. Weber's come back from that injury without missing a beat. Like I said, he's been the heartbeat of that team. And, but I think it all boils down to just carry price. And you know, if he's, like I said, if he's back to the carry price of old, how can you ever count out the Montreal Canadiens? That's not a team I want to play in the playoffs, just because he can steal a round or two for you.
1: Absolutely. And one other team that we've talked about a lot recently, but again, they keep the train going. New York Islanders, one loss in their last ten, and and if, again, if we're looking at from the start of the season, they lose John Tavares. I mean, and yes, they had Barzal, they had a couple of other good young pieces, but this is a team that I, you can visibly see the confidence in this team grow. Like they go on the ice now and they do have kind of a swagger are the look everyone's way behind the lightning in the east but the islanders are right there are they one of the teams that you want to stay away from in the east if you're a, if you're a toronto i know they're going to have to go through boston and everyone else to get there first i mean it'd be a great storyline if you ended up with the islanders against against the least with the Tavares angle but um the new york islanders are a team that scare me if i have to play against them going in the playoffs
2: yeah, they scare me in the sense that like they don't have one guy who's ranked in the top 50 in scoring right now, which is crazy. When I you think that's about
1: remarkable. It. Yeah.
2: Yeah, so they're getting it done. Like I looked at their stats the other day and I think they had something like seven or eight players who've scored uh 10 or more goals. So, the, you know, they're getting production not just from the top guys, uh but their secondary and even their um their, their third unit and fourth unit. So, uh that is a team Uh, with a capital T Um, as lame as that sounded, but you know what I mean? Like it's, it's Lou Lamorello personified. This is a guy that always said, you know, the name or the logo at the front of the Jersey is way more important than the name on the back. And people kind of roll their eyes when he says that, and you know, they lose John Tavares and he's, you know, he's just one player. We don't need John Tavares. We've got a whole team here. And again, I think a lot of people were skeptical. I thought they were going to be a bottom three team for sure. Um, and, you know, whatever Lou Lamorelli he's got the Midas touch there, I guess, because he's got these guys believing. He's got them shaving. He's got them clipping their hair short and playing like a, a, an honest-to-goodness team. And, you know, whether it's Barzell one night, Andres Lee the other night, um, whoever, Leo Komarov, like these guys, Brock Nelson, these guys are just getting the job done. And, you know, kudos to them. And Robin Lehner himself, who battled past demons, um, he's looked really good for them in net. Uh, I think he's probably going to be your Masterton winner just for what he's gone through on and off the ice. And, you know, I, I don't know if I believe that they're going to be a team that makes noise in the playoffs. But the fact that they got, they got rid of John Tavares, didn't gain anything in the off season, and are going to be a playoff team is just nothing short of remarkable.
1: Well, you know what? If Lou Lamarello has them shaving and cutting their hair, that doesn't bode well for the playoffs because, you know, no playoff beards. <laughs> really right. with that?
2: <laughs> no one had to worry about so, that in the past, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So uh, we'll leave it there. We'll come back for the third period. We're going to talk about the other end of the standings, some teams battling for those last playoff spots.
0: How's it going? I'm Dave Breckenridge. I'm the host of Ten Three Post Media's Canadian news podcast. In every episode, we take a deeper look at major stories happening in Canada, talking with journalists who are on the ground from newsrooms across the country. So once Off the Post has you up to date with the latest in the hockey world, be sure to subscribe. You can find us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your audio. That's Ten Three Canada's news covered. Welcome back to the
1: third period of the Off the Post Post Media Hockey Podcast, um, Mike. I know you've written about this, uh, in particular the West. I mean, there are some interesting playoff battles around that wild card line sprouting up. You know, in the East, you do have, you know, Boston are pretty much entrenched. You got Columbus sitting there, but of course that brings up tremendous questions about what they're going to do at the trade deadline with Buffalo, Carolina of all teams lurking there, and Philadelphia have been on a great streak lately, um, spurred on by rookie Carter Hart and goal looking remarkable but the west really is a mess um the Canucks are one of those teams in the mix they sit in that last playoff spot right now and no one thought they would be there but there's a mess of teams in there St. Louis Colorado Arizona Minnesota and you just look at them and say who really wants that I mean Edmonton's not that far out I know you know the change of GM was supposed to spur them onto that and as we head into the trade deadline what does this mean for these teams
2: it's crazy, Paul. Like uh, so, I was writing about this today before this whole Matthews thing broke, in. I counted seven teams in the West that are battling for that final playoff spot, uh, that wild card spot, and they're separated by just five points. All right, and less. Okay, here is less than half of those teams have a winning record. <laughs> Only one of them has a positive goal differential, and none are on pace to reach ninety points. Okay, so. 90 points, you're really like 90 to 95 points. That's where you need to make the postseason. You usually need a positive goal differential. Barely, like none of those teams have that. Like the last time, like Vancouver Canucks are, I guess, holding down the final wild card spot. They're on pace for 84 points this year. That, that would be the lowest since the Islanders made the playoffs in 2002-03 with 83 points. So, it, it is a snail's race. Um, and it, it's, it's almost laughable because – you know, the Anaheim Ducks were in Toronto last night, and they again lose, and they've been blown out left, right, and center. And they're you know, awful. They, they're they're so so bad, Paul. Like they've lost sixteen of the last eighteen games, and they're only three points out of a playoff spot. <laughs> like it's <laughs> ridiculous. As bad as Edmonton has been, I think they've lost like five straight. They're only three points out of a playoff spot. Like so, no one wants to win this, and you know it's a great opportunity for a team like Vancouver or even a team like Edmonton, where you're just telling your fans like you know, as bad as we've been, like we could still theoretically make the playoffs. But um, the dilemma I think that a lot of GMs are going to have is that, you know, let's face it, the Ducks aren't good enough to make the playoffs um, and they should be rebuilding right now. And maybe the Edmonton Oilers should be kind of cutting bait and trying to figure out what they should do with their roster. And a lot of these teams should be doing similar things, but how do you tell your fans that we're going to be um, selling out on a chance to make the playoffs um, to rebuild when you know, you're know you only a couple points out. Um, so that, I think that's the difficulty and it, it will be interesting to see what happens in February 25th at the trade deadline if if you know the standings remain this way and you're looking at your roster going geez, this roster is probably going to get blown in the first round but if I can get a couple home games out of it, uh, I might not sell my first round pick to get there but maybe I'll keep the status quo and just you know cross my fingers and hope for the best it really is a, a weird weird situation
1: well i think to your point you know it, it does somewhat highlight maybe a difference between the two conferences in that you know maybe there's a belief that a philadelphia or a hard-charging young team like buffalo or maybe even a rangers behind a you know if, if lundquist can re- re- bring back some of his magic that if you get in the playoffs anything could happen but for all those teams that you mentioned like honestly being here in vancouver Yeah, Pedersen's been a great story and they've solidified their goaltending, but you can't see them getting anywhere near a Winnipeg or a Nashville or a team like that. I think the same thing would go for an Edmonton or or Minnesota or whoever gets in. You just can't compete. Whereas in the East, I think you see a little more hope to get on a magic run. But as you said, Mike, once it comes to the trade deadline, like who's going to do what? Look, you're a writer. I know you've been sworn at and called bad names um, because of a, a bad headline on your story, and you're always like, "We don't write the headlines. We don't write the headlines." <laughs> I saw something on NHL.com today that said, "Wild could be buyers, could be sellers at the deadline." Thought, <laughs> that tells me nothing. gonna covers all your base. That is the plight of all these GMs, isn't it? Is like, do we, do we reap, uh, try and reap some rewards for the for the next season or the season after? Or do we go for it now? Like, where do you see any team, or can you pick a team that's going to emerge out of this?
2: Yeah, it it is crazy. And I heard a comment from uh, Jim Rutherford in Pittsburgh saying that he doesn't want to part ways with his first round pick because this year is a particularly deep draft um, in the first round. It's uh, not just top heavy with uh, Jack Hughes and Capo Caco, but um, it goes deep into the 20s and uh, even into the second round. So, uh, there really is a dilemma for a lot of teams that are sort of sitting on the bubble and I'm with you. Like, well, what's the point if you're, you know, the St. Louis blues um, of just eking into that final wildcard spot and then just getting just torched, like lit up for nothing against either the flames or the jets. Like it, it, there really is no advantage. I think you do a disservice to your fans uh, by doing that. But at the same time, um, you know, if you're going to be playing the Islanders in the first round, like I, I know maybe we're, we're talking about how hot they've been, but, You know, if I'm Columbus, um, I'd rather be facing the Islanders uh, in that kind of scenario as an underdog uh, than I would the other team. So uh, Columbus is another team where you've got Artemi Panarin and Sergei Bobrovsky both coming off um, as UFAs. It looks like both guys are um, headed to the open market. They have no intention of signing. And if you're the Blue Jackets, what the heck can you do, man? (laughs) Because, you know what, you're right in there. Um, You could possibly... Um, be a playoff team um, this year. Uh, You're sitting right now as the final wildcard team, but do you want to just go into the first round and then lose and then also lose uh, your franchise goalie and your best forward for nothing? So I I don't envy uh, the spot that a lot of GMs are kind of put in this year because, you know, there is market pressure. There's pressure from your owner uh, to make the playoffs just because of how much you gain at the gate uh, for those two home playoff games. And if you can kind of eke out a first round win then it's even a bigger bonus, but you know, long-term success of those teams, they're better off kind of drafting in the top five. So, um, I I don't know. I, I don't know what you would do.
1: Well, that's where I do find it fascinating to watch this unfold every night, because if you're, you know, you talk about these questions for these GMs, if you make the wrong move, if you either sell or buy or, or don't make a move and then you end up on the outside, then your your ass is in the hot seat with your owner, and mm-hmm. and Columbus is right in that position. And if you're Toronto, and you look at, well, could we rent Panarin for the, you know, for the just the rest of this season, and whether or not we could fit him into our structure, we'd see and see where it goes. Uh, on the flip side, like if you're Ottawa, you have to be sick that Colorado holds your uh, your draft pick. And, and I'm looking at the Avalanche there. And if you don't make it, you've got two shots in the top ten here at the Jack Hughes lottery. I I think when you're I, and I know why you're compelled to write about this. When you're looking at the standings every night and seeing who's doing what, it's been it's going to be a wild ride right up until the trade deadline and then beyond.
2: Yeah, you know, if you're Vancouver and you can kind of keep the status quo and you get in there, there's something to be said for how young they are uh, of getting a guy like Pedersen and Horvat and even like a Jake Fortan, um, getting them some playoff experience, get them a little bit battle tested, even if you know you're going to go out in the first round and it's not going to be pretty the only thing is like, you don't want to sell anything like I, Mark Bergerman has gone on record saying they're not selling any of their prospects any other picks. Um, if it's not a hockey trade that uh, beyond a rental, um, then they're not doing it. That's the right approach. I think, um, and you know, it's just gravy. If you make the playoffs, if you're a team like the Habs or the Canucks, I think um, there's nothing wrong with that, but um, it, it will be interesting to see what some of these other teams do because, you know, like obviously the Oilers are under immense pressure with, everything that's gone on, losing their GM, losing their coach, to make the playoffs, it, it might be um, a, a little bit of a shot in the arm, especially for how good McDavid's been all year. But like, let's face it, that, that's not a team that you'd ever pencil in for a Stanley Cup final, uh, much less even the second round.
1: Well, no, and and we talk about it as media, and I know fans, they get so enamored with draft picks, or at least having a shot at, at, at a high draft pick. But sometimes we forget if you're a guy like McKinnon or McDavid, like you want to get in the playoffs or competitors, they want so desperately to be involved in something they grew up just entranced by and being the Stanley cup finals. And there's only so many years you can just be on the outside looking in and say, look, I don't want to be here anymore.
2: Oh yeah. And I'm convinced that Toronto, like even though they've lost in the first round in back to back years, uh, a lot of growth happened with that. And you know, similar to like, like you almost have to take those baby steps. You can't just, you know, miss the playoffs for your first five years in the league and then you finally make it and you just make that charge to the Stanley Cup final, like it just doesn't happen. Like the, unless you're the Vegas Golden Knights, it doesn't happen. Um, there there's certain steps you have to take, whether it's Chicago kind of uh, getting into the playoffs one year, losing, uh, learning from that and then making the finals the next year. Um, you sort of have to go through that growth. So um, that's like I said, it, it's, it's an interesting <laughs> dilemma and it's, it is crazy the, the fact that, you know, the the Chicago Blackhawks right now with forty nine points they're they're still only five points out of a playoff spot they got the that's second crazy. fewest wins in the NHL like this shouldn't happen they they should have been long past the the notion of being in the playoffs they they should have already been looking ahead to next year but um, that's how top heavy and bottom um, top heavy these the Western conferences where you know the have and the have nots are really separated by a seismic um, gap there.
1: Well, it is interesting. Chicago as well. I mean, we could talk about them for half an hour. You're seeing all these rumors about whether Keith or Seabrook would waive no movement clauses to go to a, a true contender. And you know that team's going to keep it some of its elite talent. So maybe they're not that far away, but they're thinking more next year. Uh, Mike, we'll leave it there. Thanks for joining us. If you like this podcast, subscribe through Apple Podcasts. get it every week, all the news from Mike around the NHL, everything that's happening as we lead up to the trade deadline. So thanks for listening, everyone. We will talk to you next week.